Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for our small group discussion. After you have your small group discussion, be sure to check out the show notes and use that link in the show notes to submit your attendance and any questions to me, Pastor Haig, and I'll follow up with you personally. Now, come join this resurrection life together. This particular sermon series is entitled Happily Ever After from Pastor Mike Novotny at The Core in Appleton, Wisconsin. You can check out the show notes for more about The Core. So I'm super excited uh, to get to preach week number four uh, tonight. And I come here as no expert when it relates to marriage from personal experience. I have probably done just about everything wrong at times. Um, So I'm hoping you learn from me uh, tonight as we dig into God's word and see what a thriving, uh, blessed marriage is uh, from God's perspective. Uh, When I got married 21 years ago, I had a lot of expectations. I had a lot of hopes. I had a lot of dreams. I had expectations about being this awesome and amazing husband who would always communicate well with his wife and make sure uh, I never left communication uh, to the side of the table. I had this idea and belief that one of my dreams was, as promised to her dad when when I asked for her hand in marriage and then on the day of our wedding that, that I would provide for her and, and take care of her and, and make sure she had all of her needs met and all those of my kids, if God so blessed us with those. I had hopes about all the things that we would do, the number of kids that we would have, the places that we would travel. And I'm sure she had them too. And then week number one and year number one and job number one as a pastor all happened. And I realized all those expectations, those hopes and dreams were not going to be reality the way as I had expected. In week number one of our marriage, we came home from our honeymoon and and my wife worked from eight to five in a dental office and and I worked at a liquor store. That's a completely different story. Uh, Please don't think poorly of me. But I got to sleep in and it was awesome and amazing. 23 years old and I'm sleeping in every day and I hear but the door shut, and my wife goes out to her car, and then all of a sudden, uh, I hear feet running in and doors slamming, and, and, and Holly says, Tim, where's your car? It's not there. I'm like, it's there. Leave me alone. I'm sleeping. It's out back. And, and she says, it's not there. And I said, no, it, it's really there. And she goes, no, it's not there. And so I jumped out of bed, went over to the window, and I, I pulled up the blind, and I point out there, I said, it's right. It's not there. Epic fail. Uh, I simply didn't want to believe my wife, and I had to prove my point that I was right. And then year number one came and went. And during that first year, as I was still at the seminary, I, I went up to visit my friends at the seminary. Us married guys love to, to go up and hang out with the single guys, and every once in a while there'd be a little party, and we get together and we talk. And I told my wife, I'll be home by eight. Made this awesome and amazing promise. and. And then while I was there with my friends, I'm like, oh, no big deal. I'll stay a few hours longer. I'm having a good time. And, and I failed to call her and tell her. And so I get home a couple hours late, and I go to the door, and I turn the key, and I open it, and cling. She had slid that deadbolt lock over the top on the chain. And then I looked down, and I saw a pillow right there. And please don't think poorly of my wife. That was all on me. <laughs> and she was making a point. 
And then year number one rolled around and I finished school and I started my job as a vicar and a vicar is your third year at the seminary. It's kind of like being an intern or, or maybe a resident who, who, who works long hours and doesn't get great pay and, and, and vicars didn't get paid at the same rate as a pastor would. And my daughter had just been born and I quickly realized that I wasn't keeping my promise to provide. As my wife held our few-month-old baby in her arms and stood in a line to get food in Milwaukee. I don't know about you, but anyone who has been married or some of you who are, are looking forward and thinking about marriage someday, you, you have in your mind this ideal of what happily ever after looks like, these expectations, right? Uh, my wife probably entered in with expectations as well and, and dreams and goals of the things that she was going to do or be as a wife and as a mom. But here's the truth. It doesn't turn out as we expect. And not everything works out the way we dream it up or, or hope it'll go. So how in that reality do, do we find the ingredients, the essential things that make for a blessed, thriving marriage? Now you could ask all the people in the world who are married or have been married and, and ask them to list the top five qualities or elements that would be essential to a, a thriving, blessed marriage. You could ask them to narrow it down to three if you really wanted to hone in on it. But I'm here to tell you that as we dig into God's word tonight, we're going to see God tell us there is one essential ingredient. One key thing that, that he longs for husbands and wives to know and to apply to have a solid foundation in their marriage relationships. And now I know many of you here tonight are not married. Some of you have been and are no longer. Some of you are, are too young and, and that's not on the radar yet. But what I'm going to tell you tonight and the things we're going to look at, please understand, even in your notes, when you see the word marriage in there or, or I speak of marriage, th these truths I believe God lays out are, are simply relational truths that he longs for us to apply in whatever the relationship is. It's the way God said you can have a thriving, blessed life if you live this way in your relationships, whether as a spouse, as a parent, as a, as a child, as a, uh, an employee or an employer, as a friend, as a sibling, all right? So don't, don't, don't walk out on me just yet. And to really help you understand this, I got a quote that I found this past week uh, that I really found interesting because I think it helps us understand this idea of where expectations and reality collide and, and why when they don't measure up and when we have marriages that are struggling, uh, why people are so confused and overwhelmed uh, and why there's uh, so much confusion about what it takes to have uh, a thriving marriage. And here's the quote. The address where your marriage resides, the... the uh, the, the hub of what your marriage is all about, uh, that, that marriage relationship, is not found in the three or four big choices that you will make as a couple. Uh, so many people get this backwards. Uh, when they think about the expectations and dreams and hopes that they have within marriage, that if they just make the three or four right big choices, everything else will fall into place, right? If I make the right choice... Uh, of when to make that career change, then this is going to be an awesome and amazing thing that's going to lift up my family and my marriage is going to thrive. Or if we choose to have kids at the right time and we have the right number, it's all going to go well for us. If we make the right choices in these different areas where there are big monumental decisions, then everything else is not as important. But it's simply a lie. 
It's where the devil is hard at work thinking that if you just get a few big things right, that the next 50 plus years of your life in relationship are going to be so good and so awesome and amazing that the little things don't matter. And it's not true. I would pose to you this, that the address where your marriage resides is actually in the 10,000 little moments that you have as a spouse. It's found in the little and in the mundane. And here's why I believe this to be true. I don't know about you, but I have to look at my life and look at who I am and understand that on the big scheme of things, I'm a little blip on the radar. For the most of us, we don't have great worldly influence. The sphere of influence that we have is very small and very minute. Take this for example. If I was to die this week, I know someone said today this morning when I preached this, wow, you really called your shot. Um, If I was to die this week, a lot of people would walk to the doors of St. Peter where, where I serve and, and they would wrap their arms around my wife and my kids. Uh, a few weeks later, people might talk about how Pastor Tim's no longer here and, and think about what we're going to do to replace him. But you know what? They're going to have a call meeting and a new pastor's going to come and my name's going to come off the wall. And in a year, there's only going to be about four or five people who are ever going to stop by the gravestone that my name is on and bring me flowers. And five years from now, I'm going to be as a name in the history books of a church that has 150 plus year history in Appleton. That's it. So if I think the big decisions, the big choices, the ones that are all out there for everyone to see are going to have the influence, my expectations and my ideals are off. But in that one little percent of the world that I have influence, and especially within my home and in my relationships, the little and the mundane and the everyday can be leveraged and have maximum impact if I understand their power. See, when we get this right, then and only then can we begin to understand how important it is to have a solid foundation for our relationships, and especially the relationship of marriage, so that we can have happily after marriage. Because a wedding day is an awesome and amazing thing, but every day that follows is the lifetime that God longs to bless and to allow us to to prosper and be filled with joy. And to get this issue right, we have to understand what the issue is. Before we can jump into what that one essential ingredient is for any relationship to thrive and be blessed, we have to first understand the issue why this is so hard. Because I'm guessing there are a lot of you there going, Pastor Tim, preach on. You're you're 100% right. But you don't practice this. Let me give you an example. Husbands, you come home from work. It's been a long, hard day. Your boss was in your business, and he's just beating you down. And you, you walk through the doors, and, and, and it's been difficult. And so you let your wife have it. You blow off some steam, and, and you start yelling about things that weren't done the way you thought they should be. And, and, and the house is a mess, and, and you just let loose. And you convince yourself it's okay. She knows I love her. It's just a little moment. But the message being sent is monumental. And ladies, before you elbow the person next to you, understand that you can say I love you, but if it's in the little moments where you nag and nag and nag and you've convinced yourself that that it's acceptable and it's okay to berate because it's the only way the message gets through that thick skull of your spouse, he knows I love him. Uh, the message being sent 
is anything but loving. See, none of us would go home and go down to our basement and get out a jackhammer and decide to go find the corners or the foundation of the house and every 10 seconds or so, fire that thing up and, and drill away. We wouldn't do it every hour upon the hour. We wouldn't do it every day, day after day, because we know it would destroy our house. And that's what couples do in relationship. And they convince themselves that the little moments are not a big deal. And I think Jesus speaks to this and tells us why this is an issue. Uh, Look at these words uh, that he gives to us from uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 6. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Tim, this isn't in a section on marriage. You're right. The whole Bible Bible speaks to our life as a child of God. The whole Bible gives us insight and wisdom uh, that God longs for us to know that we can apply to, to who we are and our identity. And I think this is important to figure out so that we know the issue in play when uh, marriages are struggling in, in our lives or in the lives of others. Jesus said this, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Uh, so in other words, an apple tree produces, let's see if you're awake, apples. Uh, a fig tree produces figs. All right, very good. There's a lot of good yummy food out there that's waiting for you, so get your stomach going. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man, and here's Jesus' teaching point, the awesome, amazing Jesus who, who teaches so many uh, insightful things. Go back to the end of the passage for just a second. A good man brings good things out of the good stirred up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stirred up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We need to stop doing this. We need to stop saying, it's my spouse's fault that I lash out in anger. If only they stop doing blank. My spouse is the reason why I behave that way because I just can't. I just can't control myself. I get so enraged because of their poor decisions. No, the things that are coming out, the words that you are saying, the thoughts that you are having are because you have an issue of the heart. We need to stop pointing the fingers at others and and point them back at ourselves. Because here's the issue that is destroying so many marriages and, and so many relationships. It's the first next fill in the blank with our first main truth. All marriage problems, all relationship problems, if you want to uh, go broader, come from a me first heart. It's why I love the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We use it a lot of times when we think of relationships and uh, the relationship of marriage. Couples fall on one side of the coin on, the, on this passage for their wedding day. They either love it because it speaks so much to what they long to put into practice, or they don't want it because so many people pick it, and it's what every wedding has. And there are beautiful words in it, but sometimes I think we overlook uh, that in the middle of this, God says, this is what love not only looks like, but it also allows us to see what love is not like in action. And I, and I want you to consider this from your heart. What, do, what does your life look like? When it comes to your relationships, do these words convict you when the Apostle Paul says, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is easily, easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil. When you say, I love you to your spouse, but the next day you go to work and and you spiritually vomit all of your spouse's flaws to everyone else and, and back them up, uh, back up over them with the truck 
figuratively speaking, time and time again and, and put them down. You're, you're not loving, you're dishonoring. If you say, I love you, and when your spouse royally messes up time after time after time, but you keep a mental tally chart in your head, and you don't let it go, and you definitely don't let them forget, then, then you're a record keeper of wrongs and, and not a forgiver of sins. And it's not loving. If you're willing to use your spouse as a verbal punching bag because you just need to, to let loose, get it off your chest, then the issue of your heart is anger and bitterness. And you want revenge. You want someone else to hurt. You see, we need to do a pretty big self-evaluation of our heart and understand that when there are problems in relationships, where the issue lies. Out of the heart, those things are revealed. See, God wants us to understand that our marriage problems, and if you're dealing with them, I pray you're listening. Or sometime down the road, your marriage faces a a huge issue that, that, that you understand this, that you are, are willing to, to not be this because it's not going to do anything but crumble the foundation. And see, Jesus wants under, us to understand that the solution has to be found in, in something outside of this world. You see, we try all these different solutions to, to change. Uh, couples will, will go through many different roads hoping that, that, that they can change the heart of their spouse. My goal tonight, if you are a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I think I saw Dr. Hayes in here. I'm sorry, but I'm trying to put you out of business because I think Jesus has an awesome and amazing answer that, that can change everyone's life if they're only willing to live by his one essential key ingredient. The solution is not to try and manipulate, uh, to try and say, well, I'll do this if, if you change your behavior in this area. I'll, uh, I'll give you this if, if you go this far. That's not going to change the heart. We can try and overwhelm with guilt. And we can kind of say, if you only knew how much you, you hurt me and how many times I've dealt with this, and it, it's so hard and it's so painful, all we've done is add to the burden. And we're not going to change the heart. But before you leave here hopeless, God is the answer and the only agent to change. The only way to address the, the issue of the heart it's found in Jesus. Jesus' heart for you. I got a little video that might help this before we get to a passage that reinforces it. This is how God showed his love among us. Love in action. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The agent for change is, is Jesus' heart, Jesus' heart that loves you. And the agent for change is, is God's grace for you that caused Jesus to, to willingly come to earth and give up the riches of heaven where everything was happy and, and, and that was his ever after it was Jesus' heart for you that, that willingly put you first by, 
submitting to the Father's will and putting himself under the burden of our sin. It was Jesus' heart for you that instead of wiping out the, the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders who came to a garden to arrest him and go the other direction, he, he willingly extended out his arms and uh, allowed them to, to tie them up and be led off where he was put on mock trial and he was ridiculed for, for who he truly was, uh, taken away and beaten and stripped of his clothes. It was Jesus' love that put you first when he willingly allowed soldiers to extend out his arms and drive nails through them. And he breathed his last so that one day God in heaven could, could welcome you with open arms and put him around you for all eternity so that you could celebrate happily ever after. You see, when you know Jesus' love, when you, when you know the grace of love, when you, when you know Jesus' heart, you understand what you first is. God's essential key ingredient to, uh, to relationships is, is founded on the fact that when we were still sinners, Christ died for you and, and he died for me and our, our me first heart. He paid for every last failure in communication that I had with my wife, for every harsh word I've, I've ever spoken to my, to my spouse, for, for every time I have put myself first and, and love me more. You see, God's love for you and for me, it's the antidote for every relationship, for every me first marriage. See, there's not a single one of us this side of heaven who will ever graduate from Grace University. I mean, in need of more grace. <laughs> as awesome and, and, and as amazing uh, God's grace is, we still live in a sinful world and our sinful hearts are, are still overcome by the devil and his lies that, that drive us down a road of me first. So we need more grace. And uh, I've probably sinned a couple times already in my marriage today. I know you ladies out there are thinking, but you're a pastor. You must be the most awesome and amazing husband. That's not true. I'm a sinful husband who doesn't always love you first. <laughs> but Jesus loves me first. And it's the game changer for our life as we live in relationship. It's the game changer that, that only when we know this and, and only when we're planted in that, you understand the image of the tree now, that good tree that produces good fruit is one that is in great sunlight, uh, that is, has roots deep down, that gets water and is fed regularly. Uh, that's what a Christian is who's planted in God's word and who's overwhelmed by knowing Jesus and knowing grace, because they, they understand what it, what, it be, what it is to be loved you first. It's then and only then that God's words about what it looks like in marriage and how it plays out in, in our lives can be lived in, in the roles of relationship for husband and wife. Now, the most famous of passages that talk about you first marriage come from Ephesians chapter 5. Those of you who are in the back and maybe don't have good eyesight, you're whipping out your glasses right now thinking, why in all the world are all those words on the screen at the same time? So please uh, indulge me for a little bit. I want to play God the Holy Spirit. Every time I said that, I haven't been struck down with lightning yet, so I think I'm okay. Um, the section of Scripture, if you've ever read through Ephesians 5 and 6, uh, has a governing passage. It's verse 21, and before we get to it, understand that it really governs the three areas of relationship. It's almost like the, the bullseye on the target for relational living. And, and God says in that first verse, this is how Christians live and love putting others first. 
in, in every facet, in every area of life. And then he, he talks about the most intimate, the closest area to the bullseye marriage where you're, you're super close and super connected to one person for life till death do you part. And then he expands it out if God so blesses you with kids, husbands and, and wives who have children are to be parents. And, and, and how do you live in that relationship with one another? And then he expands it to work. So he talks about slaves and, and masters, really in our world, that's employer uh, and employee relationships. Uh, so I, I sometimes think when Paul talks in this section, he's almost circling around the bullseye time and time again. And, and I don't think that way. I think linearly, I like it all nice and neat. A plus B equals C and, and all these things make sense. So I'm going to change it up a little bit and kind of help you understand uh, how it is that you can live you first according to this passage as you see it all fl- flushed out by the apostle Paul as God inspired him. The first verse is this, to, to live and love you first begins with this concept of verse 21. We'll throw it up on the screen in big print so you can see it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit, I'm going to throw a screen up there below uh, later. Uh, literally means to place oneself under. It's a, it, it's a decision that by the grace of God through faith, I put myself under Jesus because he loved me first. And because of Jesus and his love for me, out of, out of awe-filled love for Jesus, I put myself under others. I, I, I show love by putting others first throughout my whole life. Whether I'm a child or a parent, whether I'm a husband or a wife, whether I'm a friend or a coworker, I put, put you first. It, it applies to, to every facet of our life. When I, when I understand this to be true, that Jesus first loved me and now I in love put others first, then I can uh, understand what he goes on to say because then I understand the motivation. It's the picture of verses 25 through 27. Notice I skipped a few verses. He says, husbands, love your wives, but he goes off on this tangent and, and says, here's the picture. Jesus, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word to present herself to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. When, uh, when I know Jesus, then I can apply Jesus' truth to how I long to live. When I, I see Jesus' example and, and I know what he's done for me, how he's changed my heart, how he's washed me clean of every sin, there's no strings attached. He simply forgives and, and overflows my life with love. Uh, so that when he sees me, he sees the most awesome and amazing bride. It's why the Bible paints this picture for marriage and relationship to use Jesus and the church. And, and, and then when I, when I know this and when I'm overwhelmed by this and when the love of Jesus fills my heart, then and only then can husbands and wives understand the roles, responsibilities, and ways in which they, they carry this out. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's what God says, husbands, this is what I want you to do. So listen up, guys. If you're not married, understand this. So down the road when you are, this is what God is asking of you. It's an amazing thing. He, he says in marriage, he created two unique and awesome individuals, a helper suitable for uh, equal in so many uh, great and amazing ways in the eyes of God, the same. And yet God says for this to work and to operate uh, with this picture, I want you husbands to be the spiritual leader of your home. But here's how you lead husbands. You put yourself under just as Jesus put himself under the church. <laughs> you become lesser so that everyone else can become greater. You first. It's the way that you get the greatest of opportunities to let the people in your home, that, that small sphere of influence in every little moment, you know what they see when they see you put them first, when you put uh, others in your life first? They see Jesus. They see love. They see forgiveness. They see how God feels about them. And 
And, and then God and says to wives, when you see that happening and taking place in your husbands, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Uh, wives, I know you don't like the S word. I, I know it has bad connotation in 21st century America, but uh, the word literally is a willing choice. God says, just like you do to the Lord, do this also in your relationships. You're not doing it because your husband is the, the greatest man to ever walk the face of earth. You're not doing this because your husband never does anything wrong or, or sinful. You're doing it because you love Jesus. And when you put yourself under and trust his leadership, you're, you're, you're saying and sending the message, I love Jesus and I'm a part of his church. And when you keep getting lesser and, and putting yourself under, relationships thrive and get better and get greater. Do you understand how, how, they, how this order helps us understand why this works? Uh, because of Jesus' love for us that then is on display in our lives so that others can know and see that amazing love. Uh, so here are two truths that I want you to take away tonight. What are the takeaways uh, on the essential ingredient to a, a thriving, blessed marriage uh, that flows from the love of God that, uh, that overcomes our me-first heart? A uh, you-first marriage is rooted in worship, not romance. So many people think that, that romance is the cause of a good marriage. Uh, romance is kind of like one of the sparks that's a part of an initial relationship, but, but romance itself is not the cause of a good marriage. It's not the foundation for a thriving marriage. It's the result of a godly marriage. It's the result of a you-first marriage. And the only way you can have a you-first marriage is to be rooted in worship, is to have Jesus in the proper place, uh, to understand Jesus' love for you, to, to display Jesus' love in, in action. Because here's the truth. Pastor Mike talked about it before. In this world, we all worship something. Many people worship things. Many people worship people. Many people worship power. And, and, and they give their life to it. But when I'm rooted in Jesus, when, when I'm rooted in worship, which is not just the Sunday night activity, well, when you, when you think that you checked off the worship box because you showed up for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday night, that's, that's not the definition of worship. Worship is not an activity. It's your identity. And, and to be you first says, I'm going to show this in every little moment in, in my marriage because it's a way that I honor and love who I am in Jesus. Every little moment is an act of worship. Every little word is an act of worship. Every, every time you walk away from an argument, it's an act of worship. Every time you say, I forgive you, it's an act of worship. Because it's expressing a truth that, that Jesus applied to your heart and to my heart in putting us first. It's found and rooted in those words that are in this section. The, the, the one at the bottom I already talked about, to place oneself under willingly. That's a beautiful picture that God calls all of us to do. Uh, the Greek word love here is that sacrificial, unselfish love that, that reaches out to the unlovable. That's God's love for you. You didn't do anything to get it. And God says, husbands, love your wife this way. Even when she nags me, yes, love your wife. Even when my husband does those things time after time, yes, love him. Even when he's unlovable. Because that shows Jesus' love for you by nature that you were unlovable. A uh, you first marriage is rooted in worship that puts Jesus first, that, that's in God's word, that celebrates his you first heart that went to the cross. And, and when I know these things to be true, I can then apply the second truth. A uh, you first marriage is revealed in love, God's love, action uh, that, that is displayed, and mutual submission. 
All too often I've heard people say, or specifically husbands say, well God, well, God says my wife is to submit to me. You know, God says we as Christians are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are all to put oneself under. You know, he's given you an awesome and amazing job to be a spiritual leader, but spiritual leadership in God's kingdom is to put yourself under the needs of others, to put them first. <laughs> it goes both ways. It's why then and only then, when we understand love, that we can do the things that are described in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love that you first is, is willing to, to lose an argument because you want to live you first. It's willing to speak words of kindness when you walk through the door after a hard day because that's Jesus in action. It perseveres when things get tough and say, even though it's not easy right now, I love you and I'm not running in the middle of the struggle. That's you first. That's what Jesus says love is. That's not rooted in romance, but rooted in worship. That's, that, that's mutual submission and, and love in action. Now, so here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to give you six things that I think you can concretely apply to your life to help you understand what, it, what loving you first looks like. And I know this is going to go counter to your brain of everything I just said, but in order to love you first, I need you to be the first one to do these six things. I need you to say, I'm going to go forward, Pastor Tim, and, and apply this. When you leave church tonight, there's a green sheet out there that says uh, 23 things that love is. I want you to take this home and, and maybe consider two or three of them. If you try and do all 23, you're going to epically fail. Um, so pick a couple and, and apply them of how you might love you first. Uh, but here's how you love you first each and every day in every relationship. Number one, be the first one to the word. Don't make this a competition. Don't go up to your spouse and say, I beat you to my devotion. I'm better than you. That's not the goal. Simply apply your heart and be willing to say, I'm going to be the first one to the word every day. So my roots are deep and what comes out of my lips is, is godly good fruit that loves you first. Because when I'm in God's word, then, then I'm celebrating God's love for me. And when I'm in God's word and if I'm the first one to the word, then I can be the first one to the mirror. And we're not talking about fighting for the vanity space in, in your home and in your bathroom. I'm saying when we're in God's word, we're going to take a hard look at, our, at ourselves. And we're going to examine our hearts. We're going to identify what the issues of our heart is. If you struggle with jealousy or, or anger, if you struggle with bitterness or, or you struggle with keeping a record of wrongs, identify the issue and, and, and be willing to, to, to change your heart through God's power and through God's help because Jesus and his heart for you is stronger. And when I'm the first one in the mirror, then I want to be the first one in line to confession. I've, I've said this four times, and it makes me uh, feel bad each and every time. I, I had one of those moments this past week. I was an epic fail in, in my marriage, and I had to own it. I had to say to my wife, yep, I really messed up. I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's hard to do, because a me-first heart doesn't want to admit guilt. But to live and love you first, you have to be the first one in line to confession, to own your failures and, and, and own your sin and, and bear your heart. Because then and only then can we be the first one to do this, to offer forgiveness. What a powerful thing when you tell someone that you love, when you, when you say to your spouse, when you say to anyone in relationship, you're forgiven. Do you know what you're doing? 
You're releasing the, that, that sin. You're, you're telling them Jesus paid for it. It's gone. It's forgiven. I'm, uh, I'm not going to keep a record of that wrong because, because Jesus dealt with that wrong at the cross. And, and while there might be consequences that we have to work at to restore, we're going we're gonna to work, work hard at, at being you first and, and being the first one to forgive. And when I forgive, then I can be the first one to follow through in my life to sacrifice. Here, here's an amazing and novel concept. This will go a long way, husbands and wives. Uh, when, when you're having a discussion about what you want to do, a, a big choice that you want to make, a, a plan of action for your home, and both of you have good, valid options, try being the first one to say, let's go and use your option. Let's try it your way. Let's see how it works and, and come back to the table and talk about it after we have a chance to evaluate. And if we need change or tweak it, then we can do that together. Maybe be the first one to sacrifice when it comes to your time, you know, I'm guessing my wife had some expectations of this great guy who was willing to go to the mall all the time and go on walks while we were dating that, that all of a sudden changed and morphed into this guy who loves to sit in front of a TV on Saturday and Sunday and watch football. Uh, one of the ways we sacrifice is say, you know, you first with time. So I'm going to do the things that you love to do because I want you to see Jesus. I want you to know you're loved. And finally, be the first one to serve. There's going to be a lot of ladies out there serving. Guys, jump in line and, and help serve. <laughs> no, that's not kind of what I mean, but you could do that. Be the first one to serve. Don't walk by a, a dish full, a sink full of dishes and leave them there and say, I think my wife will get that. <laughs> and they'll pick them up and put them in the dishwasher. I can tell you how powerful that is. There are times when I do this and I don't do it often enough. And my wife comes home and she looks at the sink and goes, you put the dishes away. And, and, and like the whole home is an amazing, awesome place because of two minutes. It's <laughs> all it takes. Two minutes. Be the first one to serve. Because then you're sending the message that says the little moments matter. Uh, that's the biggest sphere of influence I can have. So that you know you're loved first. I had lots of expectations when I got married, hopes and dreams. But I'll leave you with this. I'm thankful God gave me a wife who knows Jesus, who has a you-first heart, who's forgiven me for so many things, and who in her actions has, has served and sacrificed. I pray for our church that all of us can have those kind of relationships where we live and show Jesus' love in our lives as we serve and sacrifice and forgive and, and confess. So then the little moments, the most awesome, amazing thing is put on display, the biggest moment of all. God's love for you. That longs for you to live happily ever after with him. May God bless us to be a church that, that lives and loves you first so that Jesus is glorified and honored in our homes, in our lives, in every moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us, for those in relationships, for those who are married. There are some here who are struggling, Lord, I'm sure, where communication is bad and where, where struggles are real. And I pray that we, we're willing to be a church that, that no longer points the finger at the other and says, this is on you, but, but rather takes the hand of the other and, and goes to the cross where we see your love for us first. Now, Lord, let's be a church where each and every one of us is, is in the word, where our foundation is deep and, 
and where we're growing closer to you because when we see your love and know your love, it, it will naturally overflow in our life and in our actions so that we might love you first. Lord, bless husbands and wives, bless all of us in relationships uh, to be the people of God you long for us to be so that your love might be shown in in all of our moments and and so that the relationships we have and the homes that we live in uh, are sanctuaries where you reside. Lord, fill our hearts with your great love for us and let us love others the way you've loved us, you first. In Jesus' name we pray for all these things, amen.